Jen Bosworth Ramirez. And I'm Gina Polici. We went to theater school together. We survived it, but we didn't quite understand it. 20 years later, we're digging deep, talking to our guests about their experiences and trying to make sense of it all. We survived theater school, and you will too. Are we famous yet? I mean, nothing ever feels... I, sometimes I have this thought like, I wonder if anybody ever feels just really... Um, chill about things. I think there are some people who they wake up and they're just like, yeah, I'm going to do this and this and this. And I'm going to, I just always feel like there's so much clamoring in the back of my brain for attention. You know, that I guess it's really just anxiety. I guess that's what it is. I just have a lot of anxiety. And I grew up having no idea about that. And I remember saying, you know, kind of early on in my relationship with Aaron, like that I didn't relate to. And and he just laughed and laughed. He goes, are you kidding me? You are so anxious. I, it was news to me. I had no idea. And, and then it's like, oh yeah, that makes sense. (laughs) Oh, that's why I do that. That makes sense. Anyway, bottom line is I never feel uh, chill, but sometimes I feel less anxious. Yes. I feel feel the same way. Like I don't ever feel, I think I, I think I'd have to be heavily drugged to feel really chill and then it doesn't last. And also um, there is something to be said for like, you know, anxiety is a motivator too. So like, yeah, all those things are motivators. So I feel like my anxiety, it's so interesting when I've been like, profoundly depressed I would say twice two episodes in my life I've also been anxious and I'm sort of grateful for the anxiety because it forced me to you going Mm -hmm. I'm I'm not a depressed person that stays in the bed I may pace around and look crazy but I'm not someone who sleeps for 12 hours a day and look I'm not saying I'm I just feel like I, I my anxiety was a motivator. It forced me yeah. to like, it was so uncomfortable that I was like, okay, well I have to get help or get out of this house or get, do something yeah. different. Cause this is intolerable, you know? Yeah. You got to switch it up. But anyway, up. I'm so eager to hear about you. You made a brave, bold move and you sent your amazing to Nicholas Cage. I, I don't think I said on this podcast how much I love your pilot. Thank it you. It is so, so good it's truly it's so good and thank you and and what was especially fun for me considering that we are working on writing other things together is that i i read it for the first time when the that draft was already done so i really got to experience it like an audience member and i just the whole time it it was such a page turner anyway so you sent it to nicholas cage i did so so okay so the all right. I entered it. Okay. A long time ago, I entered it into this log line contest before it was written. Spoiler alert. And, um, and then they've said, we want to see a full script so that if you listen to the podcast, you know, like it, we may have put on here, right. That I, anyway, I wrote the thing really short and then I, I, I've been working on subsequent drafts like over and over with my mentor, Don. All right. So then that same company had a, a, a diversity initiative for women and people of color and all kinds of things uh, to to uh, enter a script into you get like a free um, 
log line class, uh, pitch class, uh, if you win and blah, 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 blah. And I love this company, Roadmap Writers. Love them. I just find everyone I've met with has been amazing. And they're literally, their job is helping writers. And of course they have classes and stuff like that, but they actually seem to really give a shit, which is fantastic. So I entered uh, hold my calls is my pilot into their contest. And by the time this airs, it'll be common knowledge. So I got, I got second place. So they, I know. And part of, I know it's so awesome. I, out of a a lot of scripts. And part of that is then I didn't realize any of this. So this is such a news they start. And then I submitted through Coverfly to them and then they rank your script I didn't know that. And so my script was in the top 9% out of 50,000 scripts on, on Coverfly. Amazing. Yeah. That is truly. And I have to say it, it, it's, it's, it's especially amazing um, because every contest does have, you know, there's so many writers out there who are just dying to, to be noticed. And, and there are so many opportunities for it, but a lot of them don't lead anywhere, but this was like a prestigious thing. And to be in the top 10, 9% is un, an unbelievable accomplishment. It's wonderful. Thank you. Thank you. And I feel like, um, what do I feel like? I feel like all, uh, it's a long con. That's just what I keep saying. Like people are like, people ask me too. And I've heard this before of other writers and people in the industry talking about this. People keep asking me that aren't in the industry, what's happening with your writing? And I'm like, nothing and a lot of things and uh, something. And Mm -hmm. like, I think, and we've said it on this podcast that I have to stop equating success with a paycheck because uh, you need a paycheck to live. That is, uh, but it doesn't necessarily mean you're not gonna, they don't go hand in hand. Like, it's not like I won prize money for this, but you win, uh, further, like you said, noticing and further exposure and, and like, so that we can move forward in this industry. And it, it doesn't always, it doesn't look like a paycheck. I I just, yeah. And, and art, I'll, I'll just put the caveat that I'm sure that there are lots of professions that this is true about, but I, I only know about this one. So in, in the artistic field, it's kind of, I mean, what's the norm for us would not be the norm for other fields that we could spend thousands and hundreds of thousands of dollars and many years investing in ourselves. And that's the whole concept of like the overnight success, because nobody's an overnight success. Everybody has already invested a lot of time, energy, money, et cetera, into it. And it's just that, and, you know, and frankly, when people say actors get paid too much, I mean, sometimes I agree with it. And other times I'm like, yeah, but you don't know, you only see their successes. You don't see the 99% of the time that they're failing. And I think it comes, that is exactly, exactly right on. And I think even like influencer culture, look, those people have invested in, I'm not saying it's, if aliens come down and say, see, they're going to, it's going to make sense. What I'm saying is it, it, they have invested the, anytime you see someone who is, uh, in the public eye or like, 
doing something someone who is being noticed for something unless it's totally random has invested in what they're doing you may not agree with it and you may not think it's art but they look i've never met someone who has found notoriety or gotten noticed that hasn't put some amount of work into mm -hmm. their cultivating mm -hmm. their even cultivating their brand the kardashians the real housewives that's a whole cultivation situation you know what i mean it, it really is it, it really is and it oh. takes as much work as anything else and yeah we have all these weird ideas about like what constitutes work and and I get caught in that sometimes too like technically all this is technically the thing that I spend all of my time that I'm not taking care of my family doing is my hobby <laughs> but it doesn't feel like a hobby it feels like I'm you know running as fast as I can to get a, a career online and that and and when I'm f eventually paid for it it'll be like yeah that's what I was doing this whole time it's right just the, right and and I feel like it, it there's the other thing of like um it, it it could happen it feels like you can go from I was talking to a friend who's not in the industry last night like you can go from zero dollars to six hundred thousand dollars in a, a night but that's really back pay for all the work you've been doing and forward pay because you may not get that six hundred thousand dollars again absolutely for quite some time absolutely so managing money is another thing hey let me run this by you what i wanted to run by you is um it, so i'm really interested in in and fascinated by um in this in a similar way as how i'm fascinated by influencer culture i'm really fascinated by fandom or stan culture um and and i've spent a lot of time hearing about it in my various cultural things that i consume i i, I kind of I feel like i kind of know a lot about fandom but what i'm wondering about is what is the basic human need that fandom fills because to, I know it's a basic need. I, I'm not saying, I'm not say, it's not that everybody's a hardcore fan of something, although lots of people are, but the way in which people are fans of something and the meaning that it carries for them. And mm -hmm. like, nine times out of 10, it, it has actually very little to do with the thing that they're a fan of. Right. It, and it, it, it's, it's about them. And what did we do before there was mega stars? Like what was the fandom? How did this need get met before that? That's well, I, that's a great, that's a great topic. And I, I think what comes, what first comes to mind is like, um, um, I, I think you said it really well when you said, uh, it's about something else. And I think it's about feeling a part of something. So like, I'm thinking of the beehive or whatever they call the lambs that Mariah Carey calls her little lambs. Mm -hmm. There's like a sense of belonging to something like, and maybe gladiator culture had gladiators had huge fans back in the day. Um, uh, wait, are you saying maybe they did or they did? They did, but oh, I'm saying, okay. yeah. Mm -hmm. So I'm, I'm thinking that it is, I think he is the the innate universal desire to belong to a group that is 
that can do things that are bigger than the one person or that are to not feel alone, but also um, to rally around an idea or a, I don't know. It's a great question. It's a great question. Yeah, I think you're right. I think it has to do with wanting to feel part of it's, it's a community. It's a tribe. And what I think are funny are stories of when like people, you'll hear famous people talk about encounters that they have with fa- with fans. And I don't know if anybody's said it exactly this way, but in all the stories I've heard, I, there is somewhat of a thread, which is like, I get the impression that, and I've never fanned out on somebody. I've never like asked somebody for their autograph or, I mean, I've certainly been standing next to Kirstie Alley in the grocery store of who I'm not really a big fan, but like being like, Oh, wow, there she is. <laughs> like it, it does do something to you when you're in front of a famous person. It does do something to you. Yeah. We recently saw Jay Leno and um, walking down the street in, in where the hell were we Burbank? And, um, and, and I don't care. I mean, I like Jay Leno. I, I, no, I, I have no opinion about Jay Leno as a comedian. Like, I, I, I know he was, he's famous and he has a lot of cars. Okay. Mm-hmm. And I, f- f- we all freaked out. It was Miles, myself, and two other, and another couple, and, the, and his mother, the mother of the, and the, Jay Leno was walking down the street and we all, simultaneously went oh hi jay leno as if we knew jay leno yeah and jay leno was lovely and said hi guys and it was the weirdest thing i don't care about jay leno as a as a celebrity but i got freaked out oh my gosh and maybe it's because i and i feel like i've had a ton of celebrity living in new york i saw tina fey i saw will bill Hader. i saw um samantha b i saw so many people um, uh, maybe it's because I've never actually, it's never been somebody that I'm, I, the only person I can think of is, you know, like Meryl, like if I saw Meryl Streep, I, I think I might do that fan thing, but, yeah. I, I, but regardless of whether or not I'm a huge fan, it is something about, like I, I was sitting at an airport once with 50 Cent and I just, <gasps> like he smelled so good yes just i felt like he was vibrating something special special, it's its its own thing it's so true there is a um it's its own thing and and i don't know if the fans create that thing or these people innately have that thing and then it's cultivated more it's so chicken or egg but i have the same thing i'm trying to think of like yeah uh i mean i I've had that, you know, and working for Nick Cage, I ran, I had celebrity run-ins all the time. And, and, and. Oh, tell your Lisa Marie. Oh, she was horrible (laughs) to me. She was horrible. So Nick married Lisa Marie Presley for like four months or something, but they were dating and she came to the office and she was the rudest she we weren't supposed to look her in the eye or something. I can't remember the rules, but I worked at the front desk. I was basically the secretary, you know? So I worked at the front desk and she, her, she had a potty mouth on her, but like, I don't give a shit about that, but it was like a directed and mean potty mouth, which I don't appreciate. So I, I think she said, where's the motherfucking bathroom in this or something? Well, that's what you told me. Where's the motherfucking bathroom in this place? And I was like, okay. Okay. Yeah. What is happening? Unnecessary. Also, 
just go to the bathroom. What do you care? I, I was so weird. It was unnecessarily rude. I couldn't understand why. But then I had my favorite celebrity encounter was with Benjamin Bratt. Um, who oh, yeah. was He's the most, so cute. he was stunning and he came in for, for a meeting and he was at the time dating Julia Roberts and oh, yeah. it was, it was around the time, I don't know, she did an Oscar, she was at the Oscars and had hair under her armpits and everyone lost their mind. I don't know. Okay. Anyway, I was around that time. I don't know why I'm remembering that, but he was the nicest most handsome, most genuine. I wanted to date him immediately. I was like, okay, I, how can I, this is, uh, this, I have the cute. And, and, and so our offices on Sunset Boulevard overlooked the hills. We were on the ninth floor and, um, and, um, there were houses and he, we went and we were waiting and waiting and Nick was doing something with, I don't know, it was on the phone or something. So we were waiting and I, we were, got to talking and then we got to going into the conference room, which was all glass and it overlooked the Hills. And he said, which house do you want? And I said, Oh, I want that one. And he said, I want that one. And then we can, we can attach a telephone, like a, a can on a wire. I was like, absolutely. Yes, I was Benjamin like, Brad, I yes, will marry you. Thank you yes. so much for asking. It was, it was the most, we really. And he said, you know, you really, that shirt, I had like a peasant blouse on. And he was like, it looks like my ex-girlfriend. She used to wear things like that. And his ex-girlfriend I knew was like Jennifer Esposito, who I really liked. Oh, and yeah. I was like, oh my, he was so kind. And so, and we talked about, he's Peruvian. And I talked about being Colombian. And so, and his mom was a, like a, a political activist. So anyway, I had some lovely, but he had that thing where I was just like, I want to be near him. I, I want to be. They put a spell on you. Yes. That's what it feels like. They put a spell on you. I felt the first time I ever saw a real life celebrity was when I was a little kid. We yeah. did one of those. Do they still have where you get a map and you drive and look at the stars yes. houses in LA? Okay. Yes. Well, we did that and we drove, Lucille Ball and Jimmy Stewart lived on the same street. And when we drove by, in retrospect, I think that they know what time the bus comes and that's when they come outside because Jimmy Stewart was mowing his own grass. I mean, like the most adorable thing and, and gave a wave. I mean, honestly, like so in character. Oh my gosh. And Lucille Ball was going out to check her mail and, and gave a wave. And I remember seeing them and feeling really sort of starstruck. So, but the other thing that's sort of interesting about the whole fandom thing is this funny little dance between the, the adored and the adoring yeah. where at different times they both don't want to own up to the fact that one loves to be adored and one loves to do the adoring, but they also, there's an exchange there. Even people who, ex who um, really um, complain about fans even that, even Sean Penn, who famously, you know, was shooting oh, guns at the helicopter that was taking pictures of his wedding to Madonna, like mm, he got something out of that. He want he wanted that in a way that was almost more uh, showing how much he needed it than somebody who doesn't pay the paparazzi it, any mind, right? Yeah, yep. it 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 has to be. They have these celebrities, especially ones who act out like that against the paparazzi. Granted, it's probably so infuriating and maddening to have them, but also 
they have they the celebrity themselves must have an unmet need that is getting fulfilled through this these inner these crazy ass interactions with the press and their fans like they just must or else they would like you say ignore it and be like oh whatever let's go about our business and we've had you know a couple of encounters with people who have some degree of fame who what they're doing the dance that they're doing with us is they want to be wanted yes and then we go okay we want you and then right. they don't respond you know right and it's like the 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 thing the thing that they're chasing is the uh, being wanted i mean they, they, they want to be in the position of saying no i feel like there's, think- there's a right there's a thing there like i i just want to be in the position where I can feel you wanting me so that I can tell you no. Yeah. And I think it's like, it's like um, dating or anything else. The same thing. It's like, I guess it comes down to, we all really, really want to be wanted. Um, and, and it reminds me of, of Bhutan, the country where they, don't they ever, they have a rule where no one can be more famous than anybody else. I'm probably totally screwing that oh, up. There no, is I'm some, sure right. there is some kind of law or I don't know. Just uh, a cultural norm maybe. Where they don't, they don't recognize, um, fame they don't they don't that's not a thing there and it's interesting i wonder how that culture is but but i here we love that so i think you're right it's a dance and also people can't have celebrity without fans yeah you yeah, can't have right. be a celebrity without the other people you're not in right. a vacuum and people are highly aware of that whether they it manifests it manifests in all kinds of ways but like you don't have the kardashians without the people watching the kardashians you don't have you know yeah and also regarding the the upset that people feel and i i feel i feel compassion for the people who you know the britney spears of the world who've just been so really targeted and stalked and i i have compassion for it but this and I don't like this phrase, oh, well, you signed up for it, because that makes it sound like you signed up to have stalkers. or To be abused, right. It's not quite that. But I'll say it to you like this. Bill Murray, another, I mean, actually, he is maybe probably one of the, if I saw him, I think I would probably get really excited. Sure. Um, but famously, he doesn't have this problem. Do you know what I mean? Like he doesn't, he encounters fans. He's always has time for them. He never seems put out by it. It's also not a mob and he's also not being. So I feel like he creates a environment for himself and give admits a vibe of like, yeah, you know me and I'm cool with that. And sometimes I feel like talking to you and sometimes I don't, but it's not a big deal. I feel like that people who get all exercised about it or profess to get all exercised about it aren't acknowledging the thing that they they're just not acknowledging the thing that they need out of the situation and that kind of bothers me yeah i mean i think that's what it is it's the transparency of like saying yeah this is a business this is part of this business of being in the public eye is a is a back and forth with with fans who who support me and sometimes are a little bonkers and sometimes mean and uh and uh yeah like let's it be transparent about the whole thing what about when you're on set and there's somebody and there's this feeling where you can tell they want you 
to make something out of them, you know? And when I first started going on sets with my son, I mean, not, not for myself, I just adopted the approach of like, don't look at anybody. Don't talk to anybody. Just kind of, but I've learned that people don't necessarily like that either. Like the times where I've truly ignored the celebrity in the room, they come they 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 right. engage in an encounter with me. Yeah, it's so really, that- it's really, it's so true. We were vacationing and um, we happened to go to this fancy, fancy place that I adore called Esencia in Mexico. And um, it's, it's amazing. And um, there was a fashion designer there named Jason. Uh, Wu? Yeah, Jason Wu. And he kept staring at me. I had a, you know, I was very dressed up. I had a huge tattoo on my back and I could tell he wanted me to talk to it. I, I just, I got this vibe. I'm like, why does this guy? So I finally, and he, he had designed recently a plus size lined for, for Eloquy, I think, which is a brand. And I had bought a piece. And so I went, I finally was like, you know what? I, I, I'm going to do it. I'm going to, I fell into the thing and I went over and he was lovely, but I just said, Hey, I love your stuff. And he's like, Oh, I love your tattoo. So we got into a whole thing but you could tell he and i think because you and i are were our former therapists and we're really in tune like in tune with people's i did what he wanted me to do and it was a lovely exchange <laughs> yeah. yeah sometimes it's just a lovely exchange right Today on the podcast, we're talking with Sean Gunn. Sean Gunn went to the theater school at DePaul University with us and then graduated and went on to do amazing things and is still doing amazing things to this day. Um, he is an actor and a writer and a producer. You know him from the Gilmore Girls and more recently from the Marvel movies. And he's a present, authentic, hilarious human. So please enjoy our conversation with Sean Gunn. Sean, you look ex- so good. You look yes, so healthy. Yes, you do. You look amazing. <laughs> you well, do have this glow. I, th- I think part of, first, first of all, the lighting is great. I'm in the garage <laughs> where I am right now, and the lighting is great, so that helps. And uh, and I'm tan. I've been out in the sun, like, almost every day. So oh, it's yeah. like, super healthy. That helps. It's yeah, crazy. You have, yeah. you have a great glow. Yeah. So, everybody, Sean already apologized for the audio quality in his AirBud, Air Air. Pods and I told him it's fine because he's so amazing that uh, anything he says will, will will reverberate no matter what. Congratulations, Sean Gunn! You survived theater school. I did. I made with it with us. With us, and I. I know. I was just revisiting the um, the website. I of course everybody and their mother who has been sisterly feelings who's been on this podcast has ta- has talked about like the phenomenon that was sisterly <laughs> feelings, but you were also in, which I had totally forgotten about. hasn't come up yet on the podcast, the bourgeois gentle um by uh, that John Jenkins directed. Did you forget no. about it too? Till just a second. I was, I was a crew on that show. Oh, well you're crew. on the website as cast. <laughs> yeah. Really? Yeah. Bourgeois gentle. No, that was, we did, they did that in our first year. They did that in the, uh... That did you a, have a small role at, at all in it? Oh, you know what? Yeah, you know you what? That's did. right. I I was even. You know how sometimes they would do that with the uh, like the crew members. Like I I was a like a waiter. I came out and like had a had a towel over my arm at one point and like served somebody a drink. 
Yeah. Okay. Do you remember it? Or anything. Do you remember the uh, the show itself? <laughs> yeah, I remember. Um, uh, it was funny because I I bumped into one of the leads at a dinner, um, like last, like a year and a half ago, or pre COVID, <laughs> pre COVID a year ago, um, and uh, and I didn't know who it, he was like. Um, I, I forget the actor's name, but he was one of the elite actors in that show. And I was like, holy Christmas. I was, I, that was my first crew was bourgeois gentlemen. And I remember doing, I, I didn't remember until just now that I walked on and was in the show. Okay. Um, yeah, they do. They put everybody who, you know, and, yeah. there's, and they're actually, you're not the first person we've surprised with reminding them oh, yeah. that they were you in know, the show. Like, I'm not in that show. And then they're like, yes, I was. I was guard number seven that like carried so-and-so off stage. Yeah. Well, I've been trying to remember. So I've been listening to your, to this podcast, by the way, like a maniac. So I've, Yay. I've listened to a whole bunch of episodes. Um, it's a little harrowing, um, sometimes cathartic. Uh, it's a little like having therapy at times, but, um, but it's, it's really cool, but I've been trying to remember, and I can only remember five of the six shows that I did. Um, but. So which ones do you remember besides, uh, I, I remember, gentleman and sisterly feelings? Well, yeah, well, I remember, okay. My, in my third year, I did Prince and the Pauper on the main stage. Um, oh, right. With, with, uh, with, um. Eric uh, Slater? Um, no, uh, he was a year ahead of us, um, and uh, and he was um, Eric Conley, and he was, oh. and you know, he's a full six inches shorter than I am. So, in order to make us look the same, we had to either slouch during the whole performance, <laughs> which was pretty funny. But th- that one was really. Uh, that one was really fun because it was a kid's show and we all got punchy after a while and we started just doing things to amuse ourselves um, a few mm-hmm. weeks into the run. But I remember Jen Ellison and Lorenzo Medrano and um, Nate Biddick were all in that show and uh, Joe Harris. And, um, but um, so I did that. I did Dangerous Liaisons or oh, Les Liaisons right. on the Loose, directed by Nick yeah. Bowling. Um, and then I did something else in my third year that I don't remember that I'm sure was a workshop and was not, but that's, that's what I don't remember. And then my, my fourth year I did, uh, uh, freedom of the city with Shauna Flanagan, where I had a really small part and I was super bitter about it because I had a, oh. a really small, like ensemble role. Like that was a, when you got ensemble, you were, that was a kiss of death. as you remember? Yeah. Um, and then I did sisterly feeling kissed many times by that. death. <laughs> <laughs> um, but then it was great. Then I did sisterly feelings, which was awesome. And then Shauna cast me in racing captivity, which was the last show that oh, I did, which, which was a, we talk about a lot. I've heard of it a couple about, times, which is, which, yeah, we talk about it, but I always have the wrong information about it. I, I, you are, you are the person I definitely remember because that bit about how you're teaching the baby and he's almost walking i i literally peed my pants i i it was so embarrassing to leave that room because i i and i don't know if you heard the episode where i said i kept looking around everybody else who was laughing and but being like you're not you don't get it it's much funnier than you think it is it's so funny it's the funniest thing i've ever seen in my life 
It's so funny. And the other thing, the thing that I remember about you is that the things you said in the, in the in-between times or in auditions or in like I, the Tupperway, do you remember Tupperway, Tupperway? Do you oh, remember gosh. this, Sean? Not well. So it's Tupperware. Okay. No, this is when you had to audition for Sisterly Feelings, the, the, um, the thing was make the director laugh. <laughs> You had like 90 seconds to make him laugh. And I did not do it. Panicked, and we all did a terrible job and we didn't get any laughs. And your thing, I'm not sure if you got any laughs or not, but you did get cast. So must then it was your hilarious. thing was that you stood in the middle of the stage <gasps> and you had somebody stage right throwing Tupperware at you. And you said, Tupperware. It was the funniest. But the thing is, like, I don't know how I heard about it because we weren't in for each me, other's. I, oh. No, it's for me. I, I remember it. It's just I didn't get to see it, but I, I remember what you told us what you were okay to do. That to me was the funniest bit. And I, I think the reason it's so funny is because it just is sort of like it, it, it you made it make sense. I don't know why, but I just think whenever I have a Tupperware, I say Tupperware, Tupperware, and I crack myself up. The other thing I remember about you that was um, really stunning to me was that you and your friends did the dumb waiter, yeah, right, as a side thing. Yeah, in we just did it on our movement. own. We were like, "To hell with this. We're okay. doing what we want to do." <laughs> but it, you removed a ceiling tile. Yeah, And there was a lever pulley system. And I remember thinking, I, I so remember thinking these people are going to do, once they graduate, something is going to happen with these folks that is not going to happen with the rest of, because it was so, I couldn't believe people were taking the time outside of the school to do this. And it was a great show. Do you remember that show? Sean? Oh yeah. I directed it. So, okay. so great. I, yeah. And and I kind of, oddly enough, I'd sort of like started to drift into wanting to be a director more than an actor by my, by the time I was at the end of, at the, but, but I look back at that as a deviation. It was, it's partly because the school kind of messed with your mind so much that, sure. that I was like, oh, maybe I should be doing this other thing. And then I took Jim Osterhoff's directing class. I he, I like just went to him and asked him if I could take his Ooh. his uh, his MFA directing class. Um, and because uh, Sarah Charper and I were were good, are good friends, and she uh, and she was taking it as a as an acting student. I was like, oh, you can do that. And I just went to Jim and asked him if he would if he would take me in it. You know, I didn't get a grade, or I was you know essentially auditing it, but um, but took that class. And I loved it. And I was really, really into that. And I was into directing. I started to really enjoy directing. But <clears throat> I do think that a part of that is what you guys have talked about a lot. A part of that was like really lacking a lot of positive reinforcement about my acting and not feeling good about what was going on with my acting career, which I look back now and I was like, and I'm just like, what in the hell was that school doing? Um, <laughs> You know, well, so right. what are your big takeaways about what they were doing besides lack of positive reinforcement? I mean, did, were you getting messages that you're now revisiting and saying you don't agree with them? Yeah, I mean, it's not just lack of positive reinforcement because the school's purpose, its function, I don't think, is to coddle the people who are who are in the classes. That's that's not the important thing. But what what I do really take a lot of issue with was this idea that that we were all supposed to be setting ourselves up for this life, um, as, uh, as I remember Jim also put it, a life on the fringe 
a life as like outsiders who were working our way in. And they were like setting us up to not, not make a living in this profession that was a, that, you know, we're in a school that's supposed to be teaching us how to be professionals in, uh, in this business. And then by the time we graduate, they're kind of like, just so you know, you're probably not going to be a professional in this business. Or, <laughs> right. or they're, they're like, you know, or like just how much disdain they had for, for uh, film and television acting, where like, it was like a, an add-on at the end of four years. It's like, right. oh, and here's one quarter of, of <laughs> acting on camera, even though that's where all of the jobs are in the industry that we're about to, to, to enter. And and how they would, you know, always it was like, oh, the, 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 you know, the theater is so great. And it's like you're slumming it if you're doing TV jobs. But then you go into the offices of the, of the teachers and who do they have on their walls? You know, they have all of the film and television. So it's like, this is great. This is what, like, we kiss the asses of all of these people. However, you're not probably going to be any one of right. those people. And um, I think that's absolutely right. It's crazy making. That's a crazy making way to teach something because it's saying it's saying don't do this, but do this. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And they put all the. I mean, I could I could just riff for a while, but I, it's like they, you know, they they put all of this um, all of this import into the the uh, uh, what do you call it? The end of the year, the uh, the um, showcase. Yeah, the showcase. The showcase. And it's like. It's like they set us up. So it's like, oh, this, by the way, okay, so you've been working day in and day out for hours and hours and hours and hours a week for four years. But now these these 120 seconds are going to determine whether or not you have a viable, uh, <laughs> you know, right. way of making it in this career, which was so messed up. It's like, I wish I could go back and I wish I could go back and speak to um myself and my classmates before we did those showcases and give us some some pieces of advice uh but you got did you you got an agent from that didn't you? i did i got an agent in uh i i, I got some agent agents in chicago um from that and um and then in you know i i, I had some I had some pretty cool meetings in LA, but nothing came of it. I mean, it wasn't, you know, even though I had meetings and other people didn't, it wasn't any better for me than, um, it didn't do any, any more for me than the people who didn't have meetings. You know, I like went on an audition. I met, um, I met the head of comedy casting, I think for CBS. And she was like, Oh, are you moving to LA? And I very foolishly because nobody had prepared me. I was like, well, if I have reason to move to LA, I'll move to LA. As though she was going to offer me a job. Right, um, right. You know, if I had known, it would have been like, oh, you're moving to LA. Let me let me set you up with a couple of agents that I'm friends with, and I could have started right away. But instead, I'm like, oh no, I'm I'm a you know going to start a theater company with my friends in Chicago. Sean, everybody we talked to that had meetings in LA, I didn't have any, but people that did. The number one question they didn't tell us how to answer is, are you moving to L.A.? Right. Yes. They should have just told us to lie yes. and, and say, say yes, yes, I'm moving yes. to L.A. Yeah. Yes, I'm moving it to L.A. It doesn't make any sense. It could have changed. I mean, look, things happen for a reason, but it could have changed the course of like 10 people we've talked to's lives. Bob, I, if I they had actually, said, 
I would actually adjust that to say they should have told us to tell the truth and say, yes, I'm moving to L.A. Uh, right. Because um, we ended up doing right, that right. anyway. But, right. Like, I mean, I don't know. It's like I, I love I loved living in Chicago and I love the Chicago theater scene is great. But, uh, you know, like I said earlier, the, the if you want a job, there's a lot, lot, lot more jobs in in L.A. than there are in Chicago. And that was what we are, were all kind of there for, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. How, how did you how did you end up at the theater school? I'm really curious because I know you're from St. Louis, right? Mm-hmm. Or am I making that up in my head? No, okay. I'm from St. Louis. Um, but yeah, I, how'd you end up? I was like, I was one of those weird kids who I I knew I wanted to be a professional actor when I was five. You know, when I was old enough to know what a pro- profession was, I'm like, I'm going to be an actor, and. uh and so I was always kind of on the path. I did plays in high school and I did some, did my research of where the, um, the best sort of acting conservatories were. And I auditioned for Juilliard and I auditioned for DePaul and I, I wanted to really get into one of those. Um, and I got into DePaul. So that, that's where I went. Um, my backup schools were schools with really strong, um, theater programs um, uh, at, at the time, but I, I kind of knew what was in store for me and I wanted to be, to be and I, I, I still feel in a lot of ways, like I, I was a very kind of angry and um, um, I, I, I was not the most pleasant person in, in, in college <laughs> and like in those years huh. of my life, um, which is funny. I, I have to, I have to make a joke about this. Um, Okay. Uh, Jen, that 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 I was listening to Lee Kirk's episode, and you said to Lee, you go, um, you said, I remember you as being like the nice one out of your group of friends, and I heard that, <laughs> and I was like, hmm, I wonder then who she's implying that the mean ones out of that, uh, that group of, uh, of I just, friends. <laughs> I just always thought you guys were so cool. We were and like, like going I remember... to the hip, Lee and I. So, it, and he always got credit for being. The, the, he was was For kind of the nice, nice one, but yeah. he, he was probably the biggest. He could. <laughs> what if he was like the biggest asshole ever, and you were really the? No, I just no, remember no. being I really was, wanting was, to be asshole. friends. Oh well, I, but but I was also kind of I was like so driven, and I was very like if I, if I'm if I could go back, I know I would be a much nicer person, but I also cut myself a little slack because I was like I was like very intense and very much like i'm i'm doing this so everything is everything we're doing is so incredibly important to me i at least at the time i i thought and i was in anybody that wasn't as serious about it or wasn't as sure which of course they had every right to be not as sure but anyone who wasn't as sure i felt like i um like they were in the way or something or that they were like taking time away from from uh from serious business yeah which is lame but you know whatever i was but you did seem you did seem like you seemed like a professional actor already and i think that that's there are some people that just are driven like that and that know what they're doing and i think there is something to be said for that because i do think it it behooves you sometimes in a conservatory to have that attitude because you you 
it is a professional training program. Yeah. The rest of us, I don't know what the hell we were doing there. I, I don't know. But but the at the professional actors, they had a good attitude. They were like, we're professionals. This is what we do. What and I-, I was like, I drink Mickey's Big Mouth 40s. That's what I do. So, <laughs> well, you know. I drank plenty of uh, Jameson. And, um, uh, but, but, you know, I almost got cut, though, even with that. And which now. Really? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I was on Warring. And then my second year. And, and it's funny, I did for our, um, for our scenes, you know, you do those incredibly intense scenes at the end of your second year in front of the whole faculty. And, um, and Jen Ellison and I did a scene from, um, from uh, uh, the Harold Pinter play. Um, oh. Uh, uh, um, birthday party? No. Uh, yeah. The Betrayal, birthday. old times? The, the, oh, the birthday party. The, the birthday party. Um, and um and and it was it went really really well right it was a really good scene um and i i was on warning at the time but for some reason i wasn't that nervous i thought that they were like warning me to just kind of like give me a little kick in the pants and that i wasn't that i I think i just thought they're not really going to cut me though because i was so i was such a i i felt like i was such a good student in terms of like at least putting in giving all my effort all the time um, and then a couple of years later, uh, I was having, I had a beer with Rick Murphy after some show that we, that we saw and, um, and it came up and he'd mentioned that he's like, yeah, I remember you did that, that scene with, with Jen. And it was, it was so, uh, and it was so good, good. It was like the first work that you had done that made the faculty really feel like, oh, this guy's really got something. And I said to him. I was like, they were, I said, oh yeah, I know. I, I was on warning. He said, I know. And I said, but they weren't really going to cut me, were they? And his, Rick Murphy's eyes got really wide and he went, oh yeah, yeah, you, absolutely. You were going to be cut if you hadn't, didn't perform well in that, in that scene. And I, and it's weird how we think back of that now, you know, cause that's whatever. I mean, that, that, that would have been. Uh, gosh, you know, 20, 20, almost 30 years ago, I guess. And just how, like, how, how would that have changed my life? Like, what if I wasn't on that day or what if I went up in my lines and that, and that the thing and would it have, how would it have changed things? It does not give me a good feeling to think about that. Um, I don't know. I think you would have just moved to LA and been fine like you are, but I mean, I understand why you have that that's I don't know I might have quit I was a pretty I had a pretty fragile psyche at the time I don't know but Mm. but I would like to think that I would have just moved to LA and quit and and yeah yeah well I mean uh, so we're talking about you you took it very serious from the beginning I I felt like you were an adult from from the very beginning that 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 that's how it came across to me was like and maybe that was just your defenses and Lord knows I was we good all at pretending were pretending just... like an adult. I had an older sibling. Okay. I'm the youngest okay. of six, and so I, I learned how to pretend I was uh, an adult. That's right. I see. That makes sense. <laughs> but but your anger when you were talking about being angry, I mean how I mean we weren't close or anything, but how I interpreted your anger was a like what you already said, a frustration about people who didn't treat it like it was you know the most important thing that they were doing at the time people who were treating it like college mm-hmm. instead of like a, a yeah. professional for training a career. Mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. yeah how did you even know about DePaul and Juilliard like did you have teachers at your high school that were really like helpful or did you just learn all that stuff on your own 
I, I learned it on my own. I went and got, you know, like, again, I had older siblings, so they had like, they, they had college books about how to study for different types of programs and things like that. And, <sighs> and, uh, and I would, you know, I did research and, and looked up lists of, of what were the best, you know, acting training programs in the country. So and, cool. and then I did research, you know, and, and, uh, and tried to find so them. You, you mentioned um, starting a theater company with your friends, St. Ed. Yeah. So you left when, so you directed the dumbwaiter that, that was sort of the beta test for that theater company. You, you, <laughs> what, what is so, your what's happening? audio? Is this audio killing you guys or is it okay? No, okay. you didn't hear nothing. Good. Yeah, oh, that's fine. good. That's good. It's through my thing. I'm sorry. Yeah. I'm yeah. sorry to interrupt. That's you. okay. No problem. Uh, so you start this theater company at the time. I mean, I'm assuming you felt like this was going to be your thing. You were mm-hmm. going to be the, in charge of this theater company and it was going to go on and be one of these long lasting theater companies. But my impression is that what started to happen is that you all just started to get work as actors and that's why it disbanded. Is that right? Yeah, kind of. It was, it was twofold. It was like, First of all, we started this theater company at the same and at the same time opened the, this coffee shop. Um, the, oh, that's right! At the Chopin Theater, um, which is still there um, at the at the Triangle at Ashland, Milwaukee, and Division. Mm-hmm. And um, we thought it would be very smart to um, to have a full running coffee shop that was open six a.m. <laughs> every morning, rather than just opening during shows doing like sort of a soft opening um which actually would have been wise we're like no we're just gonna run this coffee shop and and it turned out that we were pretty good we were okay at running a theater company and very very bad at running a coffee shop um and that was the the coffee shop we had other people who were helping us out but that was me and lee kirk and anna konamekos and nate biddick um and Anne was still in school um but uh and she still had a year left but but um, me and Lee and Nate were running a coffee shop and and uh, and Val was always around. Valentine was always around and, and uh, Cabrera was always around because um, they were parts of the theater company. But they weren't they weren't owners in the coffee shop. Anyway, um, after a year, the coffee shop, we ran it into the ground and we had to like board it up and shut it down, which already put a damper on everything that we were doing. Um, and then I, I started getting a lot of, um, commercial, I, I, I started doing a bunch of commercials. I did like, I, I, I did something like, uh, I did like 10 commercials in four months or something crazy, like Holy shit. out of like, like a whole bunch. And then I did this independent movie that Judy and, um, and Tate Smith were in. Yeah, um, stricken, stricken, yeah, right? Yeah, stricken. Yeah, stricken. He talked well, about. I remember. I heard Tate talk about it. Um, yeah. And uh, and I did this movie and became friends with with Jamie Kennedy, who was one of the actors from L.A. who was in the movie. And I remember it was a pivotal moment in my life. We were out one night. Um, we'd gone out and like shoot pool and get some drinks or something after work one day, which was like we felt like such big shots, you know, like like we had per diem. You know, and yeah, we're like, yeah, baby. We're like <laughs> staying in this hotel in Kenosha, Wisconsin, and um, and one night we came back after after work. We came back to the hotel, and on the way up to our rooms, the 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 the, the receptionist stopped Jamie and and had an envelope that had a script in it for him, and was like, 
was like, oh, this is, you know, this came for you. And it was, he was like, oh, it's a script that I, that I'm supposed to read that I might, you know, that I'm, they're interested in me for that I'm going to audition for or whatever. And I saw that and I'm like, I want that. That's what I yes. want in my life is I want that. I want to come home and I want to mm-hmm. have a script waiting for me that I'm going to look at. And that's, and that was pretty much it. And then I went back to, um, I, I, I went back after that movie was done and, and, uh, Lee and I who had lived together for a long time. Um, and, uh, and I told, and we had, we're trying to figure out what we were going to do next with the theater company and blah, blah, blah. And I went back and I'm like, I'm moving to LA, you know? Um, you. And, uh, and I had a brother there at the time whose couch I could crash on for um, a few months, and um, and uh, and you did it? Yeah, yeah. It was it was the right decision. Are all of your siblings in the industry? Um, five of the six are. I have four brothers. Wow! And they're all in the entertainment industry. And my sister is a is a is an employment attorney. She uh, she uh, wow. fights the man. Um, for on, on behalf of uh, for gender equality issues, she's tougher than all of oh, us combined. That's, um, that's amazing. Well, she'd have to be to have five brothers. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, but she lives right. in LA too, actually. So they've all. I've got a brother in Brooklyn, and then all of my other brothers have since moved out to California. And then, of course, like I don't know. I, I feel like my career is punctuated by a few. Um, you, you know, like uh, uh, some of my career has some really smart decisions or are times when I, I capitalized on opportunities and some has just some elements of incredible luck um, in, in, involved. Like what? And, Give and, us an example. Yeah. Tell us, tell us the luck and versus the, I mean, I, I, I you're not the first person, like people who have, um, have are working constantly and that are uh, talk about luck, but I, I'd like to know some examples of well, luck. Here's one example of luck that people don't think of a lot is that, and I was thinking about this earlier when we were talking about the showcase is that when I, when I graduated in, in 1996, um, I was a very, very castable type. Like I was the, I would played this dorky sort of like, it, like guys like me were getting all these roles of, you know, either like the goofy convenience store clerk or, the yeah. college, you know, goofball best friend or whatever. And I just had a look. I mean, I don't think I was, I don't think I was any more extraordinarily talented than, than so many other people, but I looked perfect for that time. Like, and, and it was like right in that pocket, which is one of the things, by the way, I wish we had been told when we did showcases is that like, like this is not a, this is a, this is not a, a referendum on, your castability for the rest of your career. This is going to show you who's castable right this second, you know, but your career is going to be long anyway. Um, so that was, yeah, I agree. I agree. Something very lucky, but it's something much more lucky than that is that then like later in my career, my brother James is one of the most gifted like writer directors and in the world. And, you know, he's my brother. So we work together and like, you know, he's able to, take me along on certain you know i i don't i i i already had a good television career before um before going to 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 do marvel movies with him but i don't i think that i'm i'm doing a lot of these big movies you know in part it it helps to have have these people as part of your sphere who are Uh, who can help bring you along 
I have a question about that in terms of what do you think makes a family like that? Because let me just tell you something. My family is not <laughs> that way. So my sister, God, God lover is not making Marvel movies and, and I'm not or any so, movies or any, any movies, not, not, not any movies. So what, 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 what is it about the gun family? I'm serious. Like I'm curious what I, the hell, a, what happens there? We, we've all been attempting to answer that question for, for decades. And, I don't know what the answer is, but I, I think it's some combination of, um, you know, my my mother was very much she she read all the modern baby rearing uh, stuff in the in the sixties. Like she 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 read Doctor Spock early, and she she like was very much about she knew that fostering the imagination for young children was super important. So, so that's like a little piece of it. My dad's from a big Irish Catholic family and was very outgoing. They're all lawyers, but they have this element of, of, of showmanship or show personship, I guess the word would be now, um, in, in, in them and a very gregarious personality. Um, I also think that, um, and my in another life, my dad could have would have been a magnificent performer, you know, and um, and his parents actually, even though his dad was like a judge and, and stuff, his his parents met doing um, doing like summer stock theater on the Chautauqua circuit. Um, no. um, and uh, and so I, I don't know, but there's also something about us being there's six of us, but less than eight years separates the six of us so we're Holy incredibly shit. tight in age and we were like a unit growing up and we we entertained ourselves and we were all incredibly into pop culture and we like listened to music and watched movies and watched tv shows and like created characters and stories and like it was just that's so it's like you were your own troop of yeah yeah like you would have been in vaudeville if it was 100 years ago you would have been in the vaudeville circuit i have to say for the record oh sorry go ahead well i was old school it's interesting you bring that up because that's another thing you say that that you're in vaudeville something that that i feel like i i naturally had an affection for that they did not teach us enough of at the theater school was that that yes, I loved, I loved theater and I loved art. I wanted to be an artist, but I also loved show business, you know, and like, and that is such an element of it. You can't make art unless somebody buys it, you know, otherwise it's a hobby. Um, but if you want to do it as a profession, somebody needs to buy it. So there, there has to be an element of, of, of show business to what, what it is that you're doing. It took me a little a while to sort of sort through that as a creative entity. I think I was very low on it when I left the theater school, but it came back to me after a little bit once I started like you know um, working on on camera more. But anyway, go go, go ahead. I was just gonna say, for the record, I've, I, as a parent of three children, your mother deserves a, a medal for yeah. reading any books whatsoever, but especially reading <laughs> a bunch of pioneering child development books that. It's a it's a word to the wise. Do do read the books because yeah. there is there is it's it, parenting is not necessarily innate. I mean, maybe for a lucky few, but what I'm thinking about is having that many siblings. 
has to be a big part of your sense of humor. All mm -hmm. of my memories about you from the theater school all relate to hilarious things that you said or did. Are you the funny one in your sibling group? No, or are they, are you no, funny? no. I okay. mean, I'm okay. not, like I'm, I, I'm in, we're all the funny ones in my, in my family. I mean, I don't, I, I don't think I'm, you know, I try, but we're, we're, we we all jockey to be the funny one in one way or another. Maybe a couple, maybe if two or three of us more than the others a little bit, but like we're, we're constant. The, the, the thing about being in a big family that really helps and really helped my acting a lot is timing. You like, you learn that like you've got one narrow window to tell your joke <laughs> when you, when you, when you, in a so group true. with six people or eight people when my parents were there. And you're all trying to like crack each other up, particularly when we're all teenagers and stuff. And we're trying to, to crack each other up. You've got about a quarter of a second to get your joke in. Holy shit. Right. To maximize if you're going to get laughs, to be able to say it before somebody else says it. If you miss it, it's gone. And so you, you learn timing that way. And that helped me immensely when I started doing, um, doing work on camera and like auditioning for, for sitcoms and, and, and a lot of commercial work and stuff like that, where, um, where comic timing was, uh, was incredibly it's, important. Um, and it's one of, it's, it, it's a, it's a massive strength of mine and yet another strength that the theater school more or less didn't give a shit about. I mean, they didn't, right. like nobody was, nobody was like patting you on the back saying you, you've got great comic no. timing, you know, like and if, if anything, it was, it was the opposite. It was like, stop trying to go for the laughs. Stop trying to get right. laughs. Yeah, God forbid we right. should get laughs, right? What? How did that work out in improv, though? Did you did you slay improv? No, I'm not. I I'm I I'm, I I was able to kind of tread water in improv, um, and but I I don't even to this day my improv skills pretty much extend to being available for my other actors that I'm doing a scene with so that when things go off script, I can stay with them. But I don't like, I like scripts. I like lines. And mm -hmm. like, and that, that's an old kind of show business thing too. It's like, it's like, I, I, I like sticking more or less sticking to what, to what's on the page. Um, I, I was not, um, because, because when we did improv, as you guys know, in school, it was not, it had nothing to do with comedy. So it's all like, no. you know, the, the, um, the Spolin games and things like that, where it's all, and that was, that stuff was hard for me to wrap my brain around because I, I'm, I'm, um, that's another thing that's still now, it's like, I'm a, I'm pretty cerebral in terms of how I analyze, analyze the work. Um, and so I like to be able to take a minute with it and think about it. <laughs> and, mm. and that's, uh, you know, you, when you're playing spoiling games, the whole purpose is to take you out of that, um, which um, which was good for me to learn, but was never my strength. Well, I was just going to say, you know, something about the theater school that just it's it's coming forward for me is that like they. And I, and look, we've been doing this podcast a long time and I'm still trying to wrap my head around. There were these huge gaps, right? And it's sort of like Spolin, stop thinking, don't be funny. And then when we graduate, it's the exact opposite of how to make money. So there is this, I'm just, it's just shocking to me. It's like, it's like 
there's a whole year missing of how to connect the showbiz part because people who liked showbiz did really well after they, not everybody, but after they graduated. So like you liked showbiz inherent in the theater conservatory was a hatred of showbiz. Yeah. And yet those are the people that got paid their bills. It's so, it just makes me think about conservatories and how to, how we can change them. Because like, if we came back and you, you had, you know, Sean Gunn teaching a class on why showbiz is important, it might work. Like it just, there was a gap. There was a huge gap. And most of us fell into the gap, into the moat. We all fell into the moat, but there are people who did not fall into the moat or stay in the moat. And I think those people bridged the gap when they graduated. They bridged the gap. You were able to bridge the gap. Judy was able to bridge the gap. Desmalshin bridged the gap. It's interesting. It's really interesting. Um, I think that there's a that the 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 people who um, who are really aware of what their strengths are uh, have such a leg up, um, and th- the school could have done a heck of a lot more to help people find that stuff out on their own and to like to really kind of help people understand what their own what what their own yes. strengths are. Um, and I, and also just in general, the, this whole notion that like, that, that Hollywood like only cares about people who are like, uh, pretty or beautiful and that that's the only way if you're like, whatever, it's, it's just nonsense. Um, and, and it's something that, that really should be fought against. It's like, like, it's just not true. There's all kinds of different roles for all kinds of different people. It's like, I, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And I'm wondering if growing up in the family that you did, you were you were able to and 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 or maybe had to identify, oh, these are my strengths. Like my brother might be this and my or this brother might be that, but I I can do this. Like I don't know, like maybe it helps you somehow to um individuate, you know, yeah. become an individual amongst amongst a crowd. You know, because yeah. you had to, right? I mean, like, I don't know. I'm just, I just, I'm always trying. I'm always trying to think, okay, like, what is the secret sauce that ha- makes people make it? And I think it's, and what I'm learning from talking to people like you is that it's a secret sauce is a combo platter of things. It's not just one thing, right? It's not just one thing that makes a career. It's yeah, just not. Yeah. And, and I mean, First of all, I don't know. I mean, have I made it? I don't know. I, I, I still, well, I, I still feel I like I'm, I'm like, no, I, I, I'm, I, I, that's not fair. I'm, I'm, I make my living doing it. And I think that that's a benchmark that was always important to me. I remember when I was a kid, my, and I told my parents I wanted to be an actor and they were like, well, you know, we'll support you if you want to do it. But you know, only 10% of actors uh, make their like, make their living doing it. I think the number is probably much lower than that, actually, but that's what they told yeah, me. They were like, much. only 10% of actors yes. make a living doing it. I'm like, okay, well, then that'll be my goal, to be in that 10% of people who who make their living. And so I try to remind myself that now, whenever I get really down on like roles I don't get or things, things that aren't happening in my career that I want to be happening, I'm always like, well, look, I'm doing it. I'm paying. I'm making my living doing this thing, and I have been for a long time. So, let me say this. I I wasn't going to say this to you, but I I'm but I will. Um, I before this interview, I was thinking about you, and I was thinking, 
I bet. Okay, I I am. My kids love all the Marvel stuff. I mm-hmm. I I don't. I've never seen any of it, and it's not a slam on Marvel. It's just it's. So when I told my kids, for example, that I knew you, they still don't believe me. So when this podcast comes out, I'll I'll, I'll finally have proof. But what occurs to me is, okay, Sean Gunn, intellectual, very uh, rarefied sense of humor, like smart as all get out. Is it a prison to be doing one type of thing? Or maybe it's not. Maybe it's maybe doing that gives you the opportunity to do the other things that you like when you have free time, but does it ever feel limiting? The Marvel universe. Oh gosh. No, I mean, not, not at all for, for, for a few reasons. Um, not the least of which is that like, um, like I, I don't, i first of all, it's like, you know, it's not, not your thing. Like nothing's, no thing is for everyone. So like, there's nothing. It's like, even though Marvel has a large net, it's like, if you're like, Oh, that's not my thing. I'm not into it. I'm, there's no part of me that's like, Oh, how dare you? You know? No, it's like, okay, cool. It's not your thing. I don't, you know, whatever. Um, that said, I think that, I think by and large, the quality of the work that we create, I can say we, but that they create the Marvel um, is very good. I mean, I think that the movies in general, it, particularly compared against against what um, their competition is. So when you look in the realm of like there, there's going to be a, a void where large tentpole um, action films that appeal to a wide audience, those movies are getting made one way or the other. It's not like we're mm. either going to do that or we're going to do all <laughs> right, right. films. Like those films are getting made. Right. So once you accept the fact that those films are getting made, I think the quality of the Marvel films is quite good. Like they're not all they're not all great, but, but that, they're awesome. That, and and uh, don't get me wrong, that's not what I meant. I what I, I, what I meant to say is you're it's so all consuming. You ha- you've done like a hundred of these movies. <laughs> it's, it, it, it does it take up every single bit of your time? No, I, I no, I, I do oh, other oh. I do other stuff. I, I guess I guess what I'm trying to say is that. I, I am able to do other stuff too also, but even if I weren't, it wouldn't be a bad, it wouldn't be a bad way to live. Oh, yeah. You yeah. know, it's yeah. like, it's, it's, um, it's, it's, first of all, it's pretty cool to do something that, that so many people love and make so many people happy. Like that's, mm-hmm. that's gratifying. Um, yeah. Also, I, I still get, I mean, I get recognized for Gilmore Girls way more than Marvel movies. Um, really yeah 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 well what you've got a whole look yeah yeah about about gilmore girls um and um and gilmore girls had this weird like comeback after 10 years after it was gone which was mind-blowing to me but um but no you know i'm i'm able to i'm not able to do anything i want like i do have I, i do have like big chunks of my schedule that are that are blacked out because I'm going to do some of these big movies, but I love it. I love making those movies, particularly the guardians movies. I mean, the, the guardians of the galaxy movies are really good. You should watch them. Gina. Mm-hmm. They're really good. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I'm like, going to really good. This conversation. There's a lot of crime. Also my own brother made those movies. <laughs> so, like, oh, I, I'm sorry. Was oh, I, ins- I hope that wasn't insulting. Oh, I didn't no mean way. it to not be even, insulting. No, 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 not okay. at all. Not at all. I, I'm, I'm, I mean, really not at all. 
I, I don't, it doesn't, it doesn't, I, I'm not in, invested in like every person ever, um, uh, you, you know, seeing whatever, what, whatever work it is. Like, I, I don't, that's, I, I'm just saying that, um, that like, it's, 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 it's mostly pretty cool, you know, and I've been able to do some, like, recently I've done some cool, smaller indie movies and I'm also like, um, you know, I was telling you guys before we got on, I'm trying, I'm trying to, my, my wife and I are trying to get this movie made and, and, and you learn, I mean, it's something I've, I've known for a long time that you learn that if you have actors that have a certain profile, you can raise money. People will give you money yeah. if you have an actor that's, and so like, I don't, I don't want to be famous because I want to get a nice table in restaurants or because, because it's fun for me to get, um, to get recognized when I'm in Home Depot, but I do want to be famous so that investors will say, yes, we'll give you money to make the movie that you want to make because you're yeah. in it. You know what I mean? It's like, right. like that would be awesome yeah. for my, uh, for my, for, for what I want to You're do. Like, I mean, I, I, I feel like there's still so much, so much like awesome work. Um, I don't know. Yeah. You're into the power. I mean, I, it seems, I, I've always said, I don't care. I wouldn't, don't think I'd ever want to be famous, but I'd love to be powerful, which is to say, you know, to have influence, to be able to, to make a, you know, to be able to be part of the conversation about what's influencing the culture is a huge gift. And I mean, it's a responsibility too, but it's a huge, huge gift. And and I guess I'm pretty glad that it's, you know, for, for all the people maybe who have that position, who aren't doing something that great with it, I'm grateful for people like you who, who are, you know, who are, who are finding, you well, know, the I, smart, I interesting. That. And I want to, you know, I want to make cool little movies and stuff too. Like I want to, you, you know the 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 in the in the film it you know you when you do theater and you want to do that like little black box show that everybody loves and has this crazy long run um you, you know there's there's a parallel to that in films you make a movie for a million dollars or two million dollars or whatever and people love it and it's it's really cool and it does a bunch of awesome festivals and makes it make makes it it's money back so you can make another movie, you know? Um, and like, yeah. that's, I, I, I chase that as much as, um, as much as anything else, you know, but, but you also, you, you got to work. And, and the thing about the, uh, about doing the bigger movies is that it's, it's great to have that as to, to, to know that you're employed is incredibly, um, <laughs> you know, I, that was, an, I was talking about being lucky earlier. Like I was lucky yeah. that I got Gilmore girls. I was, I was, you know, they liked me and kept having me back. So part of that was, was good stuff that I did was part of that was skill. But also I understood the, the um, I understood the tone really well. I understood what type of television show that was. And so the creator of the show, when she saw me acting, she knew that I got it and wanted me right. to keep coming back. And then I ended up on that on that show for seven years and I didn't um, seven years. Yeah. Holy shit. And I didn't appreciate it as much as I should have, you know, like I, I was into it, but I was also like, Oh, I'm really, I'm killing it right now. I get cast and, and you know, I was <laughs> like, like I, I 
just thought if, like if I left, I thought I'd just go do another TV show. Like it would be that easy, right. Um, <laughs> right, right, right. you know, and it wasn't. And then I left and I was like, Oh, I, I miss that. I miss having a, um, having a, a, a regular job and having a, yeah. you know, knowing, knowing where my next employment is coming from. Um, so you said that there were so, I mean, we've all identified so many things that we didn't get from the theater school, mm. but what do you bring into a job? You know, you're, if you're going on set tomorrow, what's mm-hmm. one thing you know that you are bringing from your education at DePaul? Well, um, th- that's an th- that's an interesting question just because I have so many hours on set now that it's hard to, it's hard to parse through what's, what's what i know that i know that first of all just the reverence for the the profession itself um you know i i look at acting as a vocation and a job you know um but the the whole idea that it is that what we're doing isn't stupid or frivolous um like that that was really important um and i know i know that i was a much better actor when i graduated from the theater school than I was when I went in. Um, mm. I, I know that all of the pieces helped, um, helped make me better. John Jenkins technique class really stands out as something that, that made me sort of, sort of helped me realize when, when I was in it, like when you're in the pocket, like you can feel it. And that mm. class helped me sort of isolate that. Um, and all of just the nuts and bolts of things like breaking down a script and understanding, you know, the boring stuff, like, like knowing where beat changes are and knowing what a beat change is and knowing that your intention shifts or changes, it, it beat changes, like just real nuts and bolts stuff was, uh, was certainly all, um, incredibly important. Um, but I will say that having that just getting reps being in front of the camera a lot of times mm. helped me more than being in school did you know and that that that, that the idea that um uh that being that when we graduated I, I don't know if anybody felt this way but but i think sometimes there was this idea that like we we're supposed to be these fully baked you know artists that were that were like complete beings when we graduated and just knowing that that's not it at all like if like no you always have to be getting better like i would like to me it's 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 as important now you know the the jobs that i'm doing now it's like it's super important to me that my work is better this year than it was last year you know like right if you want to keep getting better all the time it's it's not a you know um it's not easy i love what you said about reps in front of the Mm -hmm. in front of the camera like i think there is no substitute for me for practicing the real deal and that was something that we didn't even touch on at school really we had that little class but like there i really feel like my education in in the entertainment industry started the first job i booked and is still and it's hard because you you if you don't get books you can't practice so that's why people take classes and stuff like that but i i love what you're saying about like 
the reps in front of the camera are so important. And yeah. to do that, oh, I just, I, I, it's so doing the thing and they is what do makes it. the, the thing better. Do, I mean, the school should be teaching more of that. I think, I don't know. Yeah. I'm, I have a little bit of a bone to yeah. pick with them because they never, they, they never contact me about anything. And I'm like, I like, I have the same chip on my shoulder. Really? Yeah. I have the same chip on my shoulder now as I had when I was there. And I was like, I was like, I feel like I'm busting my ass and nobody cares. And now I'm like, now I'm like, hey guys, I have a pretty good career. How come nobody's like calling me and asking yeah. me to do anything? Or whatever? I was but- really surprised about that. I can so- tell you why it is. It is because they don't, and I'm just going to speak honestly, they don't have their shit together. They yeah, don't have their shit together. It. Like I, te- I teach there. I teach there. Oh and God, they, that's right. And I love them. Wait, what do you teach there? I love them in so. I teach. Who knows? I mean, oh, I right. teach. <laughs> I teach. I teach acting. No, I teach acting. But I also, it was weird in a pandemic. But they don't have. I want to run that school. I'm like, wait a minute. Let's get these people like Sean Gunn in. Let's get these people like these people know what they're doing, and they can also teach like different things. I, it's it's a conservatory situation. It's a real. It's a real clusterfuck sometimes. So anyway, yeah. I have a bone to pick with them too, and they have a bone to pick with themselves, and they don't know what they're doing. So anyway, by the way, I've had long talks about whether the cut system is is good or not, and uh, because I was kind of on the fence about it, but you know, um, I, I don't know. Some of them, uh, what, well, what's your point of view? Well, some people got to go. No, I mean. <laughs> like like I, i'll tell you that okay like i don't know if you know michael rooker but he actually went to the theater school yeah many in the in the 80s and i've worked with him now i've you know, I've done a bunch of movies together i play his sidekick in the guardians movies um and he always said that when i told him that they quit doing the cut system he's like oh that's that's it that's downhill from here on out for that that school he's like the cuts are the only thing that that accurately represent what it's like out there in the in the um, with the with the actual uh, cutthroat entertainment industry acting industry is like the cuts are the only thing that, that give you some sense of what that is actually like. Um, I don't know. I'm less sure. I, I I don't feel sure one way or the other because I think of my my 20 year old self and I think that I was almost cut as I said for like maybe if I'd blown that scene, I would have gotten cut and I'd be pretty pissed if I had, I don't know. Um, I don't. Yeah. yeah. Well, there's a, there's a corollary to the damage that the cut system can do. Like people like Joe Sakura who take mm-hmm. it as their personal mission after getting cut to, to spite the theater school Yeah, and then wow. And end up having a great career. Oh, I think of, of Sakura. yeah, it's definitely true that the people who get cut and then are like, like really press on, like, yeah, like they those really press great. on. I, mm. I, and I, it's, it's, of course, a great example because he, he, but he's a guy who was probably cut because people thought he was, you know, because of who, because of, for whatever reason, the person that he was at 20 years old rubbed people the wrong way. And so they decided yeah, they that were frightened. they were going to like, yeah, something like that. I don't know. Joe's a heck of a good actor. Yeah. He though. was sort of defiant. No, he's a very yeah. good actor. Yeah. Well, we're, we're going to have to wrap up, but um, any little last anecdotes or stories you want to make oh sure to God. include? Or like, like anything you would say, anything you would say to someone who's like, Hey, Sean Gunn, I- I'm going to go to DePaul. <laughs> don't go. <laughs> um <laughs> 
No, just, I, just I get in front of a camera. Uh, yeah, now they're never going to invite me to do anything now that I said that. Uh, <laughs> That's all right. I, I won't be going back to teach. Probably it's okay. I mean, look, anything I would say to any any person who is um, who is about to embark on that journey of trying to do it is is that like is essentially that what other people think of you is always going to seem incredibly important in one way or another. And you'll make it important, but it isn't, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. like it isn't, it's about the work that you're doing and getting better. And I, mm. I do think that there's something, um, you know, I'm, I'm an old softy in that I do still think there's something kind of, um, beautiful and magical about, um, not just pretending to be another person, but to try to share their lived experience. That's what actors mm. do. We're trying to like share with other humans what the idea of being a human is, you know, when you cut it to its core and that that's not, that that's, that that's not stupid and it's not, um, no. and, and it's not the most important that. work in the world, but it's also not, but it's not something stupid. That, it's not stupid, you know? Um, it's real work. Uh-huh. I love that because I feel like when I hear actors interviewed, even still, people are always still apologizing for, I know I'm not curing cancer. I know. And I think, it, I think it contributes to, because we don't have much in the way of arts education in this country, it contributes to a general feeling of like, yeah, of course, everybody relies on m- culture and media every single day of their mm-hmm. lives, but they have this way of compartmentalizing it. Like right. it's frivolous. Not, P- it's people really know it's completely necessary. As we learned during the pandemic, when the first thing everybody started to do was binge television shows and watch movies. Yeah, I mean, it, yeah, it's, it's actually quite essential. Yeah. It's essential. And it's hard. It's like, it's like, it's not, it's like, it's, it's not, it's not hard in the way that maybe, you know, the certain other jobs are hard, but it's, it's like, like creating stories and, 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 oh, and, uh, and, and presenting them and delivering them in a compelling way um, for people to get wrapped up in and enjoy or be moved by or whatever. It's not, it's not easy work, you know? Um, yeah. No. Anyway. All right, Sean, where can people find you? I think you're on Instagram and Twitter. I'm on Instagram. I'm the judge gun on Instagram. Um, I'm Sean Gunn on Twitter. I do as much social media as I kind of need to, to, uh, keep my career relevant. There you go. <laughs> um, there you go. And you're relevant. I and you're relevant. Instagram, so it's working. It's just like everything is sort of like, I, you kind of just have to do it. How's that for a plug for my own social media? <laughs> um, I have a bunch of stuff I coming up. I have a, I'm, I do. You do. Yeah, tell I, us, tell us. Um, I did this really cool indie movie called Agnes that just premiered at the Tribeca Film Festival, and I don't know when that'll be available, but it's coming out before long. And I did. I'm in the Suicide Squad, which is out August sixth in theaters everywhere. Um, I did a show for Amazon uh, called The Terminal List. Um, that oh. uh, I did a really cool role on that, and I don't know when that's coming. Probably later this year or early next year. Uh, and then I have Thor Love and Thunder coming out in the spring. Oh my gosh, you've been busy. Of next off. year, Jesus. and I'm going to shoot Guardians 3, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 Woo-hoo! in a few months. So, Congratulations. That's fantastic. That's fantastic. It's good to be busy. 
Thank you so much, Sean, for doing this. Really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. And thanks for doing this podcast. It's really cool to hear people's stories and, you know, whatever. Maybe we'll circle back and do it again if you guys do a second round. Yes. (laughs) Yes. That would be fantastic. Actually, uh, I, uh, for many people, I feel like a part two. If you liked what you heard today, please give us a positive five-star review and subscribe and tell your friends. I Survived Theater School is an Undeniable Inc. production. Jen Bosworth Ramirez and Gina Polici are the co-hosts. This episode was produced, edited, and sound mixed by Gina Polici. For more information about this podcast or other goings-on of Undeniable Inc., please visit our website at undeniablewriters.com. You can also follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Thank you! Thank you.